0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers, Leaders, and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. This is the next episode in the series on a product management body of knowledge, and I'm doing it every other week. We're exploring the Product Development and Management Association, PDMA, their guide to the body of knowledge for product managers and innovators. And if you're not familiar with PDMA, they are the longest-running volunteer-led professional association for product managers, existing since 1976. We've had an introduction so far to the body of knowledge. That was in episode 307. We explored strategy in episode 309. And today we're taking on portfolio management. To help us with that, our guest, who also authored the portfolio management chapter in the PDMA book, is Steve Atherton. Steve has over 20 years of professional experience in product management and related roles for some of the world's largest industrial technology companies. He currently serves as the Senior Product Manager at Fujifilm in their Inkjet Technology Integration Group, which designs and produces nanotechnology products for industrial applications. As Steve shares his insights, if you hear anything you want to go back to, or you just want an easy way of sharing this with your colleagues, you'll find a detailed summary of everything we discuss, and also a one-page action guide, a one-page PDF to help you take action on what we discuss. Over at the dot com slash three one one. Now let's talk with Steve. Steve, thanks so much for joining the Everyday Innovators.
1: Yes, thank you, Chad. It's been uh, it's great to be on the show. Thanks.
0: So we're doing the series on the Product Development Management Association, the PDMA, the body of knowledge that they have curated for a number of years now for us as professional product managers and innovators. And the new version of that has come out uh, now as we're talking. It's kind of towards the end here of twenty twenty. And you wrote the portfolio management section and I'm uh, really eager to dive in and share some of the concepts about portfolio management. So we should probably start with, you know, what is a product portfolio?
1: Yeah, a product portfolio is simply a set of projects uh, or products uh, that an organization is investing in that have certain trade-offs. So it's not unlike a personal, you know, investment portfolio that people have for retirement, right? Where you 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 want you want balance you want diversification in your portfolio and different portfolios make sense for different conditions and different individuals whether you're close to retirement or whether retirement's a long ways off and it's it's just the it's the art and the science of mm-hmm. of balancing uh, that mix of of projects and products
0: so so the analogy to a retirement portfolio in the sense that we're looking for balance for our strategy the objectives we're trying to accomplish and diversification in there too, so we don't have all of our kind of bets into the same area. Exactly. Okay, so product portfolio. So that brings us to the purpose of portfolio management then. What what do you say about that one?
1: Yeah, yeah, several purposes. One is that mix that we just talked about, you know, achieving the optimal mix for, for balance. And, you know, a lot's been said in other areas about, you know, Picking the right product, right? Making sure you choose a product that's going to be successful in the marketplace. But portfolio management is a little bit broader than that, right? Because it's not about picking the, the singular one product, but rather having an optimal balance of the different products and opportunities that the organization is working on. You know, it's that mix. The, you know, the right group of products has to reflect the balance we talked about. Also alignment with strategy. You know, certain, uh, you can have a, there's a, you know, wide number of different strategies that you can have as a business or as an organization. And, uh, you know, your portfolio needs to align with that. And so the, the, the science of portfolio management is to try to do the thing between, you know, what is your strategy? And then how do you make that strategy actionable in the decisions you make about where to invest resources and uh, to have the, the best overall outcome for, you know, for your business?
0: In our last episode, we talked about strategy because that is the, you know, the first chapter of the body of knowledge and creating the foundation of strategy, understanding the strategy of the organization, what the strategic objectives are, and then ultimately how that influences our product strategy. And as you're describing this, this mix, this balance that we're seeking in a portfolio, do you have an example of how you might, might break out that, you know, of what a portfolio might look like to reflect the different kinds of strategic objectives?
1: Uh, yeah, there's different techniques for doing that that we talk about in the in the body of knowledge you know, one of the, they all involve uh, metrics of some kind, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the the trick is to, to break down your strategy into metrics that can reflect that strategy. You know, whether that be, for example, you say you want to make your, your products more, more innovative that you say you've been working on, you know, some cash cow types of products for a long Hmm. time, but you want to become more of an innovator. Well, then you need some sort of a metric that captures the characteristic of, of, you know, Innovation and that can be done in in simple ways or or in very complex ways. a simple subjective uh, scoring you know method can be used or a pass fail criteria you know is this new opportunity is it going to make us more innovative or not but then you can get more sophisticated you know with it I mean innovative in what ways and and different weightings of innovation is this a ten on the scale of innovation or is it a five um, and that sort of thing okay. and then the other element of it is the you know there's different techniques you know broadly that can be done. You know, for that mapping, like we talk about in the body of knowledge, a top down method or a bottoms up method. And a top down method would be something like to use to go with my innovation example again. Say, for example, you know, the business decides that we want, we care so much about innovation that we want 80% of any new product that we develop, of, of all the new products we develop, we want to have a strong, you know, a strongly innovative. And so then you could say that, okay, 80% of the value of new product development dollars we're spending need to go towards that, you know, and you would say, okay, we're going to assign that bucket. 80% of all our spend has got to be towards innovative projects. And then, you know, that's what you'd use to, to pick, to help pick your mix.
0: Good. Okay. So uh, a couple examples I come across frequently when we look at portfolios. And as you said, based on the strategy, there's a number of ways that an organization should lay this out. And I think they should reflect the strategy and not just adopt one of these off the shelf ones um, because that may not be the, the best mix for them. Um, but you mentioned, you know, the, the more innovation. So we might look at projects that use our existing capabilities, you know, existing technologies perhaps that we have or ones that are moving into new areas for us, right? That we might consider more innovative. Or products that serve our existing customers uh, versus products that move into new markets. Um, and and that, that's a simple, you know, common kind of two-by-two two matrix area that we look at and say, okay, where are we going to put those bets? Like you mentioned, you know, maybe if we're really driving things that are outside of our current box of capabilities, things that we might consider more innovative because they're, they're new to us, uh, not just improvements, you know, 80% or whatever the, the spin might be that we would say might be a way to address that. Fair,
1: exactly. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool. The as I often work with product managers and product teams, sometimes when we're talking about portfolio management, it comes up that that's not really part of their world, right? They they don't see their contributions related to portfolio management. They're just working on projects, right, and developing products. And and I my response usually is something like, "Well, understanding kind of the whole breadth of product management, which is something that." this series is helping us with the PDMA body knowledge does makes you a better product manager because you know how your, your work actually does contribute to other elements. And so I, I think it's beneficial for everyone involved in product to know something about portfolio management because it's going on, but who do you see is typically involved in portfolio management?
1: yeah, and I, I completely agree with what with what you described, and I'd say on the other side, for the business, there's a benefit as well, because you know I've seen many cases in working you know in different organizations where you know, business leadership will make decisions about business without tapping into all the the knowledge and experience of the people in the organization. And that's really a, if you think of it is, is, is a lost opportunity you know to capitalize on an asset, and then asset being you know the knowledge of those you know in the organization. So, you know, in my view, and I think it's what was reflected in the in the body of knowledge, is that broadly Mm -hmm. cross-functional participation in product management is very valuable for for a number of reasons. You know, it capitalizes on that organizational knowledge. You know, like you said, it keeps everyone um, informed and therefore, you know, motivated and they they can see how their, you know, their contribution fits into the big picture. And it's it it takes some discipline, though. You, You know, it's 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 easy to one of the things that we've done. With the latest edition of the Body of Knowledge, is to show how the the level of sophistication you put in your portfolio management system really needs to have needs to be paced and designed with a level of complexity that lines up with the pace of the decision making of the organization. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, for example, if, if you had a very complex portfolio management system that had all you know nice bells and whistles, but it took too long to get the information about the products or the resources that were available, such that decisions have to be made at a much faster pace, then mm-hmm. you're really not using the portfolio management system because it can't keep up with the decisions. Right. right. So in some cases, a simpler system is actually better than a more complex system. If you can actually use it, you know, for all the decisions you have to make as a business about where resources go.
0: We'll get back with Steve in just a moment. The PDMA body of knowledge, it was my first exposure to a framework for the discipline of product management. And I went from hacking my way through product work to understanding and knowing what I and my team needed to do. It was such an aha moment, really several moments. I found others had the same experience when they encountered the knowledge areas. And this led me to creating the RPM experience, the rapid product mastery experience to increase the performance of product management groups and product teams. It builds on that PDMA body of knowledge and enhances it for a group and team environment. In nine weeks, meeting virtually 75 minutes a week online, right through our web tools, product people get on the same page, learning and applying the same concepts, improving their collaboration, and developing a more clear customer focus. It's been a transformative experience for so many organizations. Find all the details about the RPM experience at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Now, let's hear more about portfolio management. I, I like that Einstein quote that, Oh, now I'm going to draw a blank on exactly what it is, but it's basically, you know, make things as simple as possible, but no simpler, <laughs> right? It's like they, they, they need to be right-sized for the problem we're, we're addressing. And I think that fits well what you were saying there. The level of complexity needs to match what we can actually recover from, from that work. And as you were saying that, I, I thought about there's kind of uh, two... I don't want to say they're stages because there's always a cycle going on inside of portfolio management, but we can think about setting up the portfolio in the sense of how do we select projects that we're going to work on, right, to become part of the portfolio. And then sometimes they go in the portfolio and they're in their cycle and we're not really paying attention to them. The other piece of portfolio management should be actually managing the projects in there and what's going on. And I think that's one reason why it's helpful for product managers, even if they're not involved in any portfolio management decisions, to understand that that at least this is taking place. We are taking actions along the way to balance the portfolio. And because of that, it's some reason, sometimes why we might slow down a project and take resources off of it for a while, because they're needed on something that became more important because we're trying to reach a strategic objective, or we might even kill a project that is a good project, but... It happens that we have better projects that, that are really going to move the organization forward.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So some things about who is involved in that. And then specifically, I would think that you know, some organizations might have an actual portfolio manager by role, by title. Senior managers, are they're the ones involved in making these decisions about what projects we are working on and, and what, which resources are involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I was going to mention a facilitator role as well. Mm -hmm. I got kind of took myself off onto a tangent, but Mm -hmm. yeah, the facilitator really helps to kind of stitch things together, you know, and keep you know reminding people that you know you work in the context of a portfolio management when decisions come up. So you know, there's a lot of information. The larger you get in the organization, the more complex information can become, and so having a facilitator role, you know, really helps to make sure that. All the information is, you know, is is there when you need to make, you know, need to make a decision.
0: It's a really good point. The way that I am, am personally wired is I I just kind of approach organizations as a system, and I I think of how do we optimize the system, and how we how do we achieve what the organization considers, considers a win. And at any given time, what the organization what, what a win would be for the organization may not be a specific win for a project. And so it's, I'm much more comfortable, even if it's my own work, saying, okay, we need to kill this off because it's not, it's not helping the the overall path that puts us on a win as an organization. But that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people, uh, as I have found that a lot of people aren't wired the same way, right? And we get protective about the work that we're doing, and we feel that we have this investment made, and if things change, that that change is uncomfortable to us. And again, I think that's why it's useful to think about portfolio management, regardless of your role. There is a kind of this bigger picture that these projects are somehow fitting together in this balance to help move the organization forward in the direction that's aligned with its strategy.
1: Exactly. Yeah. There's also a human bias element. You know, we can get, you know, we can we can get excited about certain things because there's a trend or we're seeing a lot going on. Right. And, and any of us, even even senior most business leaders can can fall into the tra- trap of, you know, mistaking a, a current trend. Right. For, you know, statistical, you know, data. Right. And, and kind of lose you know, sight of the big picture because humans are not really wired to make, you know, these kinds of decisions. We think we are because, you know, we think that we can solve any problem, right? But I mean, fundamentally, the, the human brain has is, is been designed in a system that to achieve two things, right? Keep us alive and make sure we reproduce. <laughs> yep. And so having a facilitator to, to make sure to remind us to, to look at things, you know, objectively really helps to make us help us make, you know, good business decisions.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate you bringing it back to facilitator. That was the intent of what I was sharing my, before, To having that facilitator to help share the communications about the different projects and decisions being made helps to keep everyone on the same page. And otherwise, you, you just lose that. So very useful role there. And the human bias error is a very nice way of saying that, you know, sometimes people that are more important have their, perhaps their pet projects that get pushed forward. And, and, Compared to other options, perhaps they should not, right? So um, we get caught up in things that we want to see done at times. So it's kind of decision-making traps. Okay, well, let's move on to another topic. And as we're talking about this kind of strategy issue, you introduced this notion of the the buckets before, right? Kind of how we break up our spin. Uh, Another approach that probably many people are familiar with is the three horizons sort of notion where we say, okay, maybe you know, 70% or something of, of our money is going to go into our current products and making them better for our customers. And then maybe 20% is going to go into things that are adjacent to that that take us into... Related areas, but new areas, and then maybe 10% of that is going to go into work that is really outside the box of what we're doing now. And and maybe we're pursuing some new technologies to help us prepare for the future, right? So that's, you know, kind of one way of approaching a a portfolio perspective. You know, what do we we need to be doing now? What what do we be doing soon? And what, you know, kind of prepares us for the future? Let's just talk a little bit more because I think this is a useful tool that, that you introduced before, the strategic bucket thing. Or how do we set up that portfolio to align it to strategy?
1: Well, a good way to answer that, I think, is to to compare the top down to like a bottoms-up method. You know, with the bottoms-up method, what you're doing there is you're you're still setting out your goals, right? Of a certain it could be certain proportions. Like you said, if you're if your dimension is is time, right, near-term versus long term, it could be things like risk, high risk versus low risk, what's the right balance there? But with a bottoms-up method, you still have those those goals. But what you're basically doing is you're 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 putting those goals into a review system where you say, okay, here's our goals. And then you have your organization uh, do its innovation mechanisms and come forth with ideas, right? And they'll go into reviews, and then when you review those uh, proposals or those ideas for for new projects, you would you would assess them in those reviews against uh, those goals, right? You'd say, well, you know, okay, this is the this is the third one that's come this week that's been a cash cow project, and we're supposed to be working on innovation. You know, maybe we should cut one of those, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, send some feedback that you know to encourage the you know whatever ideation process we have to you know to bring forth you know something else. So then ideally, you know, it's it's hard, but ideally what you'd want to have is, is a mix of the top down, you know, and the bottoms up where, you know, you, you allocate uh, certain proportions of spend, which encourages, you know, the, the, the part of the organization that comes up with, you know, that finds these, these projects and these opportunities. And then you have the review of uh, technique on top of that, right? Where then you bring it to your product manage, your uh, portfolio management board or you know team, however you want to set it up, and they then assess against those same criteria, right? So that that helps to to start people off in the right way, and then it also helps to confirm that what's produced actually aligns with the strategy.
0: Right, and I think that's the important part, right? That there's some mechanism to. At least make sure we're in agreement if we're pursuing a project, does it align to strategy? And if it does not, why are we doing it? Right? And there may be a valid reason why we're doing it. But this gives you mechanisms for having those, those discussions about being, I think, more thoughtful about which projects you actually pursue. And I, I like the cash cow kind of example you gave there because anyone that has ever worked on projects in our organizations, we almost always have more projects going on than we actually have resources to really get that work done right and they easily just build up because you know they're all good ideas you know we were doing projects for some some good reason but without carefully reviewing why are we doing this project how does it align to our strategic objectives having some criteria to really select those projects we may not be doing the best ones
1: right right and that's really what this is all about is is limited resources. You know I've never been in an organization that said, you know well, yeah we have we have too many resources, we don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so it's you know the limited resources is almost a you know a universal truth, and you can prioritize in a portfolio management system, but but where it gets really hard is is when you go beyond prioritization and you say, well, how much?" Right. Mm -hmm. Not just what's the most important thing, but how much can we invest in the top three things? Or maybe it's the top four things. But if we do the top four things, then actually maybe to be a better strategy to focus on the top three, because number four really doesn't add as much as we thought. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or or perhaps, you know, kind of the lean approach is saying, you know, if we could do the, the top three, but it's going to take us a year to get anything out. Or instead, if we just focused on the top two and we could actually get the first project out in six months you know, the second one to nine months, you know, getting things done sooner is often much more valuable.
1: Absolutely. Time to market. Yes,
0: exactly. So we we talked about prioritization a little bit in there when it comes to selecting projects for the portfolio, whether you're doing this, you know, top down approach and we kind of know what our buckets are to begin with, or we're more of an emergent approach where we're looking for opportunities as they rise and fitting them into our strategy um, or some combination. What are some of the tools for actually selecting the, projects that would go into the portfolio how, how do we make that evaluation
1: yeah it basically comes down to metrics and and one of the you know one of the arts of, of portfolio management is the ability to select the right metrics that line up with what you're trying to achieve in your goals you know with your strategy and there's different there's different ways to do it there I, I kind of group it into two broad categories you know myself there's the there's the judgment-based, you know, criteria. Things where you can, you know, you can sit in a room with your team and you can look at, you know, what's on the on your list of opportunities and what's going on, and you can look at some some basic criteria, and you can you can do a high, medium, low, or a, simply a pass, fail on the criteria, right? For example, you know, if if you're looking for more innovative projects, you could say, well, is this, you know, does this have, does this stretch us in terms of innovation relative to where we're at now? or not right or how much does it stretch us or you could go the other way maybe you've been doing too much innovation and really you need to focus more on on making sure the bills are paid and mm-hmm. you know, maybe you need more cash cow um, you know products in your portfolio it could it could really go either way so that's you know one type of metric right you you basically put a criteria on something that aligns up with your strategy and then you assess to it you know high medium low and we're talking simple spreadsheet types of, you know, of tools. Then the other
0: checklist, right? This is, does it meet the criteria or not, or, or maybe the high, medium, low. Okay.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you can get, you know, the more sophisticated where you use like engineering economics or financial type of metrics, right. Where you would actually do a net present value, you know, calculation on, on an opportunity or a return on investment or payback period or or something of that nature. And, And picking the right metric, not only is it you have to pick the right metric to line with your strategy, but you want to pick the right metrics that line up with your organization and the complexity of what you're dealing with. You know, I was product management product manager for a long while in nuclear power plant development, and these are you know projects that cost billions of dollars. You know, and so you obviously in that kind of situation you want to use a much more sophisticated metric backed up by rigorous financial data than you would if you were in a different type of environment where you're selling you know, more simple consumer products or software or or something of that nature. You know, it's important to pick the complexity of the metric that that lines up with what you, you know, the the environment that that you're working in.
0: Good. And it sounds like there's usually like a balanced scorecard approach here, where where there's a few metrics that are chosen to help us with the selection. And uh, we, we emphasize the Strategic alignment before you know, you know that certainly a metric or some metrics around that how how well does this fit a strategic objective, and then some more quantitative information like driven from engineering economics or net present value, uh, financial kind of indicators.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I advocate for is to to start especially if you're starting a portfolio management you know system from scratch is to start with something simple, and then build on the complexity of it you know because mm-hmm. if you start with something too complex from from the outset, the problem can be that you're still making business decisions based on gut instinct or intuition or whatever while you have nothing, right? Whereas you could have a major impact simply by having a list of your, of your opportunities that you maintain. Even if you didn't have scoring criteria, there would be a big benefit in just maintaining that list because anytime you have to make a business decision, you can all look at the same list and make sure you have the full picture when you decide where to put resources. That, that
0: all by itself is a simple tool that a lot of organizations don't have. You know, we don't have a hand or a transparency about what projects actually are being worked on that have resources allocated against them. Right. Okay. okay, That's useful. In the previous version of the body of knowledge, there, the PDA was position was to have some reservations or hesitancy around using financial metrics like MPV. I think primarily because it's easy to kind of game those in the sense that, you know, maybe you're not disclosing all the assumptions you're making in that financial projection. Um, maybe you're using different assumptions for different projects and then it becomes really kind of hard to compare those. Um, has that been updated or changed? I'm not sure how that's reflected in the the new version of the body of knowledge.
1: Yeah, I believe we we certainly have have that in there in the second edition. You know, there's you know, like I said, there's it's all about picking the right tool for for the job, right? You know, in the in the situation that that is applicable to what you're mm-hmm. trying to achieve.
0: I think that's just a good caution to, as we're trying to evaluate when the numbers get presented, sometimes we just see an MPV number, for example, or, or an internal rate of return number or a break-even number, right, at some point, without the assumptions that were used to help generate that. And when we're, we're evaluating different projects, if we're not using the same assumptions and we kind of don't really know what ended creating that number, and we could very well be comparing apples and oranges.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we we used to call that spreadsheet abuse. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you've got to have the context. You know, the, the person who you can't make you know decisions just based on the numbers alone. It, everything has to be put in context.
0: Yeah, and some of that is the the human bias error that comes in again. Right. If this is a project that I'm really passionate about, I know this is going to be good for us. I may make things look a little bit better than someone else might be because they're interpreting the information differently.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that can certainly happen. Okay, so
0: we also talked about that resources are part of this and helping us figure out how to best u- use our our resources that are available. What about some tools for resource allocation?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, that's where portfolio management can get somewhat complex. And, you know, it's because, I mean, resource planning is a discipline of its own, you know, and, and it's especially difficult for situations like this where you're looking at new opportunities new product ventures because there's so much uncertainty you know resource planning in a production environment can be a little can be more straightforward because there's a lot of repetition of work and there's more certainty in the system but when you're talking about new ventures and you don't know what the return is you don't know how long they're going to take you don't know what the risk is involved then estimating right the resources required can be can be really challenging and that's one you know from experience where you know I've I've been involved in portfolio management systems that's one of the biggest practical challenges and we've tried to reflect that you know more so in the in the latest edition of the the body of knowledge the you know there's some simple techniques that can be done to help to manage that one of the things i recommend is to is to is for the if you're the facilitator of a portfolio management system to link up closely with the the manager or managers who are managing the resources you know for for In the product world, oftentimes it's, you know, the manager of the technical development team because that person already has to manage resources. They probably already have tools and techniques that are in place. You know, and I've been fortunate enough where, you know, they're to work in environments where the the resource manager is very happy to, you know, to build on that and, and help to, because they realize it's, it's, there's multiple benefits to it, not only for your portfolio, but it also helps them do their day job of managing their resources. So, you know, so that's something I would I would recommend that that helps. Also, it's another thing that can be done is it's it's multidimensional, right, which makes it really difficult if you think about it. So, you've got, you know, not only is how many resources do we have, right, but in what period of time, right? And then resources with what skills, and then under what scenario because in portfolio management you have to look at a lot of different scenarios of what you might be focusing on. So that multidimensional element can make Resource management, you know, daunting. And, and so, uh, again, I would you know, recommend the, the, the simpler approach and try to encourage people and facilitate people, for people to understand that estimates don't have to be perfect. You know, sometimes some simple judgment based estimates about resources can be better than waiting for something that is more sophisticated, but will take you know, too much time.
0: And before we talked about the facilitator to to help coordinate information on the projects, seems like it might be a a different physical person, but that would, having a facilitator to help with this resource allocation planning aspect, seems like that would be very helpful as well. The the one problem that I've seen in organizations with the resource piece of this is, you know, you you have your superstars, right? And especially in software development. And so the person who is really good, like the person who's really good at architecting new solutions and trying to figure out the things on projects. That's the person that everyone wants on their project, especially early on. And and you're so happy to get some of that person's time, you know, to help your your project along. But then all of a sudden, you know, that person is working 5% on a project, you know, 20 different projects a week, and really has no ability to focus on a project. And someone becoming aware of that problem, I think is important
1: exactly and that that lines up exactly was with what I was men- mentioning about you know working out a partnership with your resource manager right because the 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 resource manager is probably the person who has the best understanding of of that critical resource and what's going on in his or her world, right? Yeah. And how many directions is the individual being pulled in? Are, there being, are they being stressed in a way that other people won't, won't see? You know, maybe they manage stress really well and you can't tell. You've just asked them to do something and it could, you know, it could be pushing them over the edge of, of having a, you know, a, a little personal crisis because they're overloaded. So absolutely, that is, a, that is an issue and something to, to keep in mind.
0: Okay, And there's one other topic I want to go back to. We we talked about metrics in a few different contexts, metrics for selecting projects, and then that managing of projects, right? Once the the projects have been selected, they're in our portfolio now. now. What are we looking at to help us know if we're basically doing a good job balancing the project or, you know, maybe not managing as well as we should be?
1: Yeah. Excellent question. That's something we really added in the the latest version of the body of knowledge. And it's something that we call performance metrics, you know, because when I've implemented these portfolio management systems in the past, one of the things that I've noticed is that you you start out with metrics that are designed to select the right projects, right? But then you do your selection and whatnot. And when you want to size up how your portfolio is performing, if you try to use those same metrics, it doesn't always work well. And one of the reasons is that you can have different metrics that were designed to capture things that were important for certain projects or at certain times, but they can then become uh, redundant and make it difficult to size up what's really going on. You know, you might decide that on one project, you really need, you know, a net present value calculation for something else. Simply knowing whether there's a near term or a long is, is is more, important. you can end up with, Three or four different financial metrics. And then when you try to look at the health of your portfolio, it just it just shows noise, it looks like noise in the system because it's too many ways to look at the same thing. So we've given some tips and, and tricks in the latest edition of the Body of Knowledge that helps pe- help people figure out how to combine multiple metrics into one thing so that you can then have like a, just a few performance metrics that allows you to, you know at a glance, in a snapshot, understand what the health of the, of the portfolio is after those decisions have been made.
0: One good insight there is the metrics for managing the portfolio are not necessarily the same that we would use for selecting projects to go into it. And we'll defer people for sake of time to the Body of Knowledge book to get some more details on some tools for that. And as listeners know, I love a good innovation quote. What do you have for us and why did you choose that one?
1: Uh, yeah, the the, the quote uh, I'll give you is uh, there are two ways to succeed with new products. There's doing the right uh, projects and there's doing projects right and the reason i picked that is that portfolio management is about the second you know doing projects right the way it's uh, given in the quote it almost makes it sound like there's is two different things to choose from but really obviously those are those are both elements of what is important in succeeding in product management both you know picking the right projects and and doing them right that's from Paul Bellevue, who is has authored some of the the handbooks that the PDMA puts out, which which are a great resource that that people might want to consider if they want to go into more depth than, than is available in the body of knowledge itself. PDMA has these handbooks that show detailed, you know, tools and whatnot to to implement a lot of the techniques that we talk about.
0: Excellent. Yeah, many good resources for product managers. It is the reason why I got connected to PDMA. I was at the time trying to figure out what I was actually doing, what my role was, and did not know there was something called product management until I uh, discovered PDMA. Um, Just, I'm curious, what, what was your path or association with PDMA?
1: yeah, I got involved in uh, PDMA about four years ago when my, my career took a turn because I was looking to to kind of expand outside a technical area that I worked in uh, nuclear power for many years and had gotten into a role that was a lot different than product management that I had done and loved for for many years. and the new role was very operationally uh, focused. And uh, you know it was a good thing to try, but realized that I really loved product management. I wanted to get back into it and because i'd been away from it for a few years i felt that you know a good strategy for me would be to to reinforce my academic you know knowledge of product management you know i was one of these product managers who you know learned on the street i was told i certain s- suddenly owned products and i had to go figure things out like like a lot of product managers so i felt like that was a good time in my career to to really you know strengthen my I joined PDMA and I got myself certified. And then at the same time, I started listening to your show, which was a great resource. Then, you know, got more into PDMA, ended up volunteering to, to author the chapter two. And then, so it's really neat for me to to kind of end that story with an opportunity to, to be on your show and, and talk about the, the tools I use to get myself, you know, back into product management.
0: I know May has been very useful to me. That's how I've learned so much about product management and then started helping others learn some of the concepts, too, and develop as product managers. And I'm glad we both found that, you know, PDMA and that uh, information useful. For listeners that want to just connect with you, you have a fascinating background. Um, can we point them to your LinkedIn profile?
1: Yeah, certainly. Yep, I have a LinkedIn account. And uh...
0: that will work well. I will put that in the show notes and make that link easy to get to. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you also for sharing your knowledge and experience and putting together the update for the portfolio management section in the PDMA body of knowledge. And thanks for sharing some of those insights and experience with us
1: now. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been great.
0: Thanks again for listening. This is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. You'll find all the details of the portfolio management discussion with Steve and the one-page action guide to help you put into practice what you heard right now over at the Everyday Innovator.com slash 311. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Innovator which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources,
1: please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.